Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Remember it, and I just am enjoying the community that now exists. But someone started that. Someone came when it was all trees and there was no community. Someone started a, a community here that we are all enjoying. Uh, you know, there's pioneers in all kinds of things, fashion, science, industry, whatever. But I was thinking of one of my favorite inventions that I don't think that I could live without. I run it twice or three times a day. It's just my dishwasher. You know, I'm just grateful. I have six people in my home, and a lot of times we have other people in our home too, and I need my dishwasher. I need it really desperately, and when it goes out, our life is kind of um, over. And so, uh, but you know what? I've never thought about who invented the dishwasher. I've never even thought about it, but what they did is helping me now. And so I actually did look up who invented it, and it's a lady named Josephine Cochran. And in 1886, it was a woman inventor. I know. And you think about it in the 1800s for a woman inventor to do this is pretty phenomenal. And so uh, we are benefiting today because of this woman in the 1800s that decided, I'm going to help people. And people in hundreds of years from now are going to benefit from this idea. Uh, the funny thing is, is she was um, actually noted to have been yelling, running through the streets, saying, if nobody else is going to invent a dishwashing machine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think she must have been quite a pill to take. But either way, I'm super glad for Josephine and her great idea uh, to wash dishes because I am benefiting it from it generations later. And the thing is, is I would not have known her name unless I would have looked it up. And, but the thing is, is she was willing to do something that nobody else was willing to do so that we could enjoy it even if we don't remember her name. And that is the kind of pioneer that I believe that God is wanting his children, his women, to become and take on. It's a mantra. It's a way of life. It's something, somebody who lives beyond themselves, somebody who lives for generations to come. You know, I think that in Hebrews 11 if, uh, is a chapter where the writer of Hebrews just goes down a lot of the Old Testament heroes. And it's the chapter of the pioneers of the faith, the heroes of the faith. And it labels uh, Abel and Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Moses. And it goes through Rahab and Gideon. And if you have time to read it later, um, I do think that it would encourage you. It's an amazing chapter of all these people who have gone before us and pioneered the way. But basically, the writers of Hebrew is saying, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. Jesus would not. It was a plan. Jesus came because they pioneered. Je they paved the way for Jesus to come and save us, and now we have eternal salvation. And so that's the kind of pioneer that the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's what God has for you. These stories in the Old Testament are to equip us. They're not just fun stories to tell our kids and say, woo, that, isn't that cool that all the animals got on the ark? No, it's powerful about people who were willing to sacrifice it all to do what God had called them to do, and that's why we're here today, is because someone pioneered the faith. One of the pioneers that I want to just point out today is Caleb. And if you don't know much about Caleb, is he was one of the Israelites that came out of slavery out of Egypt. And so he came out with Moses. And early on when they came out, Moses sent out 12 spies. God had promised the Israelites land. And so he sent out 12 spies and said, y'all go check out the land and see 
what it's like. Can we take this land? And so the 12 spies went out, and Caleb was one of the spies. So was Joshua. And so 10 of the spies came back and said, there's no way we can take it. There's giants in the land. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, y'all, with God's help, we can take it. He promised us that we could have it. So they believed that the promise of God was stronger than the giant in the land. They believed that the, the God that they served was bigger than the giants in the fortress that the city was surrounded by. And so here is Caleb now 45 years after he spied out the land. So let's look at Joshua 14.10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive. For 45 years since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. Somebody say 85 years old. Okay, honestly, um, that is, in our culture, you're coming to the closer end of your life is at 85, and generally people slow down at that point. They don't necessarily speed up, and so here he is, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. And then, just to paraphrase, Joshua basically was like, listen, dude, if you can serve and follow God that wholeheartedly, you can have it. You and your kids can have that land. And so he, gave, he said, go for it. You have the faith. You have the wholehearted belief in God. Go for it. So remember, Joshua is now in charge of the Israelites. Moses has given over the reins to Joshua. Joshua is now has the faith to believe that the people are equipped and ready to go take the land. And so here he's talking to his buddy Caleb who went with him earlier, and they're like, finally, finally. But the one thing that I love about what Caleb said is he said, 45 years in the wilderness just made me stronger. You know, when we go through life, one of the catchphrases lately that I've been hearing is don't get bitter, get better. And I think sometimes, that's awesome, but sometimes I've heard it in a context where it's like, I'm going to be better because I, in, in my strength, am going to turn this in around. And what I love about what Caleb is talking about is his trust is fully in the Lord. And he's saying, with God's help, I can take this land. With God's help, and I have become stronger in the wilderness, not weaker. And what happened is, is that made them resilient. That time in the wilderness was not wasted. It, it was something that God used in spite of their flaws to make them strong enough to go take the land. And so it's exciting because I do believe that each and every one of us have land in our life that God is wanting us to take. And so you may have said, you know what, I've taken land in my life. But guess what? I believe God has more land for you to take. There's more areas in your life that he can give you victory. That is not, um, that promise was not for one moment. That promise is for forever. Like from the day I get saved to the day that I die, God has promised me land that I can always have the authority to go in and take. You know, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, this is the portion of Scripture right after the chapter in Hebrews that talks about the pioneers of the faith that I referred to. And so Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, basically he's saying these great guys came before us and did amazing things. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, everybody say pioneer, and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I want to break down this piece of scripture for us today, because I believe that there are three points in this scripture that basically empowers us to go pioneer something that matters. This is the, basically God is saying, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look at all these awesome men and women of God who did what I asked them to do, these imperfect people. So here they are, let their stories equip you, and then here's the one, two, threes of how you're going to do this. And so there are some one, two, threes in this scripture that's going to help us be a pioneer. Okay, so the first point is, is that we've got to leave behind. There is no pioneer that didn't leave something behind. If you went from the east to the west when America was being formed, you left behind what was familiar to you, what was comfortable to you. You may have left family behind. You may have left some friends behind. You may have left everything that you always knew behind. But you left something behind. I think of the per Josephine that left behind the idea that we have to hand wash all our dishes. That idea, that mindset is not where we have to stay forever. We can have a new idea. And so I think it's empowering because what the Lord is saying to us in Hebrews is that if you will leave behind what is hindering you, then I can help you take that land that you have always said it's not possible. Or you have always said that I hope one day. But today, I believe that God is giving us principles to be able to take it today. And so one of the things that I want to point out is there's four things that I think that trip all of us up. It, one of these I feel like you'll identify with. So we're going to leave behind these four things today. And the first thing that we're going to leave behind is wrong beliefs. The bottom line is all of us have a belief system. We're being integrated from the day we're born till always to believe in a message to believe in let's say you believe in buying all Ford cars I just believe they're the best or I believe they're the worst I believe in Toyotas I mean everybody has an opinion about everything and we have a belief system and what I want to identify today are the things that the thoughts that we have to leave behind the wrong mindsets that we have to leave behind and say I'm never going back you know I think of in the early days when they pioneered there was no option to go back there were no airplanes. There were no quick trips back. This was a forever goodbye. And that's what I believe today is we're going to forever goodbye say, say goodbye to those wrong mindsets. So, for instance, how do we identify wrong mindsets? We identify them by knowing the promises of God. The promises of God are yes and amen, and they're true, and they will always work. That's what Caleb said. My God and his promise will work, and he will come through for me because I believe the right thing, not the wrong thing. And so some of the promises of God are that you were created by a living and loving God who wants to be integrally incorporated in your life in a close proximity. He wants relationship with us. That's why he sent Jesus. He is not ashamed of us. He has not forgotten us. He is not too big to talk to us. He is there for us. He's the kind of God that we can fully trust and wholeheartedly serve. 
we can believe that nothing can separate us from his love because that's what the word of God says. We can believe that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world because that's what the word says. We can believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because that's the promise of God. And so if any thought that you have is not lining up with those thoughts, then you can know it's a mindset and a thought that we have to leave behind. We cannot pioneer not believing in the promises of God. And so the next thing we have to leave behind is learned reactions. And you know, this comes down to basically generational habits, generational curses that we will take with us because the only thing that we know is what our mama did and our mama's mama did and our mama's 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 did. (laughs) Okay, so here's the deal. Our moms, some of them are blessed and wonderful. I have a great mom who left a great impact on my life. But the bottom line is all of us have things that are learned reactions that we have to say, I've always responded to conflict like this, but that doesn't work, and I have to leave that. Like, I can't do it that way anymore because it doesn't help me leave behind and go forward and pioneer and take land. And so we have to recognize those things that are, in our, are, that are seemingly even in our bloodline. And this is one of the things is we almost say that the bloodline is impossible to overcome. Now with genetics and bloodline, you go to the doctor and they say, what's your health history? And they say, what's your grandpa struggle with? And what's your dad struggle with? And so I have to say, my grandfather had heart disease and my dad has dementia. And and I have to leave there. And I literally, because I believe the promises of God are for my body, mind, and soul. And so that doesn't mean that I'm not wise and I don't tell them the answers that they're asking for. It just means that I'm not held to my bloodline. Jesus shed his blood and adopted me into his family, and my bloodline is completely changed. Like, I don't have to think that I am bound to my bloodline or my genetics. I can have victory because now my bloodline is Jesus's. He paid for that. And so it's important for us to leave those wrong mindsets and not just say, this is how I am, or this is how I grew up, or this is how my dad always did it. Those are the things that you feel so helpless to overcome, but Jesus in the word says he came with a sword to sever that. And that is exactly what it means when he said he came with a sword. You wonder, you're thinking, why did they say that? Because he has to sever those things. And then we have to agree never to tie them back. We have to agree to say, never again will I think like that. Now, I may have the thought, but I understand that is a thought from my enemy, and I'm not inviting my enemy to vacation. He can't go with me. His thoughts can't go with me. Those old patterns can't go with me. I'm leaving them behind. And the next thing that we have to leave is we have to leave behind fear. The bottom line is all of us process fear differently, but we all face it. And one of the things that I think that in our society has been helpful is we often help, we have been able to learn about our minds and learn about our bodies and learn about things that can be helpful to overcome depression, depression and anxiety and, you know, you name it, all the things that mentally can face us. But the one thing, even though I believe in counseling and I believe in treatment, I do think that that's great. The one thing that I want to discourage us from is labeling ourselves. Because I believe that it is easy to say, well, my anxiety won't let me do that. Well, my depression kept me from. 
well, my codependency, or, well, you know, I'm just passive aggressive, and, and it's like we have adopted these things as our friends. Like, they can come with us on vacation. And it's like, no, you can't come on vacation with me. Now, I may always have that thought, but I need to let you know, anxiety, that I'm going to fight you every single time because you are not my friend. You are my enemy. The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers of the air. And that's what I want to label these things that we have said mine to. We've almost invited them and say, see, here's my baby. (laughs) They're on my hip. And it's like, yes, I can be honest and say, I am fighting this. But I am not inviting it or claiming it. And so we have to be careful on how we look at the things that we are fighting. We have to see them as the enemies that they are. And so every single time we face them, because it doesn't mean we're not going to face our enemy. It just means that every time I've already decided to fight you because I'm not taking you with me. I am leaving you behind. The next thing I believe that we have to leave behind is perfection. And some of us deal with this a little bit more than others, but perfectionism is something that I believe God has never asked from us. And I do think that we get caught up often thinking that if I am perfect enough, then And one of the things that I've also seen is when people are faced with constructive criticism, our first defense sometimes is defense. Like, well, you don't understand. Well, this is why I did that. Well, actually, I thought that through, and I'm right. And what I want to see in the body of Christ is our ladies is a humble spirit that can say they may not know the whole story, but I'm going to ask God what he wants to teach me through that. And I'm going to humble myself and say, God, I repent, but thank you for teaching me. Because I know every time if someone is for me and someone's speaking into my life, that I believe I can take that to the Holy Spirit and say, help me understand this. What do you want me to, to know from this? I don't take shame on because I don't have to be perfect, but I do have to be teachable. Because that's when we're submitted to the Holy Spirit to say, what do you want me to learn from this? And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, there have been people that have spoken into my life that I didn't feel like had my best interest at heart. And I, just like many of us, have become very defensive. But what I have learned is even in those moments, if I go to the Holy Spirit and say, what do you want me to learn? I'll learn something. God will teach me something from it. And what happens is, is I can pray about it, learn from it, and still love that person who spoke that. Because I realize that they aren't perfect. But actually, there was, there was a grain of truth in that. And the Holy Spirit wants me to humble myself and repent in this moment and not worry about how I look or if they knew that I had thought it through and if they knew that I was mostly right. And that is so hard, but I believe that is true repentance. That's living in a life that I'm going to repent at all times. I'm going to stay humble at all times, and I'm not living under shame. I'm saying thank you for teaching me. And that's one of the things I'm teaching my kids right now. I'm saying, okay, I've taught you to say, will you forgive me? I've taught you to say, I'm sorry. And now I want you to say, thank you for teaching me. Because I'll tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you're not in trouble. I need you to say, thank you for teaching me. And I have learned that the Lord has also required that of me. He is saying, I don't need you to say, I'm sorry in this moment. I've already forgiven you. I need you to say, thank you for teaching me. 
I receive that. And he uses people often in our lives to teach us that. And that is where I want to encourage us that we are pioneers and we don't have to live under that perfection because that's not what he asks of us. He says, look at me, I'm the pioneer and perfecter. You multiply what I've given you. Our church's word this year is multiplication. And Pastor Stephen has been talking about the process of multiplication and the skill. And what I have been actually going to the Lord in is, Lord, please help me go through the process and develop my skill in a way that honors you and that you find me faithful. And so, for instance, when I do something that I do want to be perfect in, I go back to the mindset and say, God, I just want to be as skilled as I possibly can to be a servant of you. This is the reason why I'm doing this. And so uh, that concludes point number one. But point number two is going forward with vision. So after we leave behind, and I will say this, I believe we continue to leave behind along the road even as we go forward. But I do believe it's our first step before we can go forward. And then very often he will require us to continue to leave behind things. But go forward with vision. In Hebrews 12.1, the second portion of that first verse says, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's no way to take land without knowing where you want to go. But one of the things that I find is oftentimes I don't just want to know where I'm going to go. I want to know how to get there. And sometimes God gives us a vision of where he wants us to go, but he doesn't give us all the details of how to get there, although he does give us every step we have to take. And that's where we trust him in faith. We say, I can take this next step, but I still don't know what step five is. I wish he would tell me that. But the thing is, is you just need to take the next step, and he's faithful to tell us what that is. But we have to go forward. And one of the things is, is in our society, we have a lot of self-help that's actually based in the Bible. So there's a lot of self-help saying, find your vision, find your values, etc. But the thing is, is the fact that that's all from the word of God. But if your vision and your values don't line up with the word of God, God cannot bless it. And Pastor Stephen says all the time, the, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. The only kind of steps that God can bless are the ones that have the vision and the values that are based on the word of God. And so, for instance, one of my values is peace. But my definition of peace in my flesh is comfort. And that is the wrong definition. The Bible says that peace is found through the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. So peace empowers me to do what's the most uncomfortable, to do what God has called me to do. Because I can have peace even though I'm the most uncomfortable. And so though that's what I'm talking about. What is your value and is it defined by the word of God or by our flesh? And then that defines our vision. What is my vision and is it God's vision? Is it agreeing with the word of God for my life? One of the things that research shows is that all human beings live for reward and safety. And so we establish our values and our, and our vision through reward and safety. But I want to tell you today that there is no greater reward than being a child of God. And there is no greater place of safety than in the refuge of who he is. He is our refuge, and there's no safer place we can be. So when we determine our visions and values according to the word of God, we already know that he is our best rewarder, and we already know that we are safe in him. So here's a few things that I want you to ask yourself about your vision. Okay, so these are things we can know. Is this God's vision? 
God's vision will always be bigger than you think you can do on your own. There will always be opposition to God's vision. There will always be logical reasons why you shouldn't go forward. God's vision will always have the undertone of I'm blessed to be a blessing. It will not be to put you in a position where you no longer need to trust God because if it's a vision from him, we will need his help. And it will be something that affects generations to come, positively, obviously. And it takes surrender. God can do so much more with a vision that's surrendered by, to him than he ever could with a vision that has you to be, have to be control of everything. Like, if you have to be in control of your vision at all times, then it's not a God vision. Only a surrendered vision, something that you know that you can't do without him, is a vision from God. And so basically, this kind of vision is what he's saying. Live for this vision no matter what the cost is. Go forward no matter the cost because I am going to come through. I'm going to fulfill my promises. Don't, the cost, if you have to stop complaining, if you have to stop whining, if you have to not say what you think, pay the price because it's worth it. So no matter what, going forward trumps the feeling in the moment. So point number three is keep a soft heart and thick skin through it all. And in the third portion of this scripture in uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what keeps us from quitting. When we're able to keep our heart soft, but our thin, our skin thick. Okay, so there is a plan from God. God's plan is for you to keep a soft heart and skin thick. But the devil's plan, he has a plan too, is to harden your heart and to make your skin very thin. And the thing is, that is a trap of the enemy. David cried out after he sinned, and he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. He knew that he could not do what God had called him to do without that kind of heart. We don't have to escape hard things. We can know sometimes hard things reveals the things that he wants to heal. If God has brought light into a situation that is very painful in your life, you can guarantee that he wants to heal that. The only reason why he brought it into life is not so that you could feel the pain, but is so that he could heal you. So feeling the pain is part of the healing because now you know it's there. And so it's important for us to let God do his work. In 2 Corinthians 4.8, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And I know there's times in life that we feel like we can't go any farther. There's times in life that we're like, really? How could one more thing happen? But I want you to remember this scripture, that you are hard-pressed on every side, but he has not crushed you. He, you don't have to be in despair, but he, is, his, he gives hope. You don't have to feel abandoned because he never leaves you nor forsakes you. And he's not punishing you. He's with you through it all, and he's going to bring you through it. But the bottom line is, is everyone, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, you are going to find that you experience offense. You experience misunderstanding, rejection. You can feel unnoticed. You can feel out of place. You can feel wrong. You can feel unappreciated or unneeded or betrayed. We all feel those whether we are Christian or not. 
But I believe the enemy's plan when we are a Christian is to say, let's bombard them with all these feelings so I can harden their heart and get their skin really thin so that they will get angry and quit, so they can get discouraged and quit, so they will even think that God is telling them to quit. And I just want you to know that God is never telling you to quit. If he's telling you to close the door, he's always sending you somewhere else. If he's telling you that this season is over, he's opening up a new season. But he is never going to tell us to quit because he is not in the business of quitting. He's in the business of winning. And when we partner with him, we win and we can keep our heart soft and our skin thick. But our fears mixed with others' imperfections are the perfect opportunity for the enemy to use. And that's why we have to stay in the presence of God, understanding the love of God. Because if we understand the love of God, when someone's imperfect and makes us feel unnoticed, offended, betrayed, that's the moment where we can say, but you know what? God loves me. And no matter what that person thinks about me, God loves me. No matter how that person treated me, God loves me. And because of his love, I can love them. Because I can have generous mercy because he's giving me generous mercy. And this is something that we remind ourselves every day, and it empowers us to pioneer. But in closing, I want to just point out, there is an evangelist uh, over 100 years ago now, um, Dwight L. Moody. And some of you may have heard of him, some of you may have not. But he was an evangelist that reached so many people for Jesus. And he was a pioneer of evangelism. He would do anything to reach somebody for Jesus. And so what I think is interesting about his story is that he came to know Jesus because his Sunday school teacher, his name was Edward Kimball. He, Dwight was very stubborn in Sunday school class, and he was just not getting the message. So Edward went to his place of work. He was a teenage boy working, and he sat down and talked to him. And he gave, he, the Holy Spirit used Edward Kimball in that moment, and Dwight L. Moody's heart was softened, and he received Jesus. Just a volunteer Sunday school teacher that wouldn't leave the fact that he knew that Dwight L. Moody had a call of God in his life, and he needed to know Jesus. But Dwight L. Moody's ministry led to six more evangelists getting saved from each evangelist. And the last one I want to speak of that got saved from Dwight L. Moody's many evangelists was Billy Graham. So over 100 years later, Dwight L. Moody and Edward Kimball impacted Billy Graham's life. And Billy Graham impacted our generation, even in these days, of how the world sees Jesus and how evangelism looks. And so the thing is, is I am sure that Edward Kimball wanted to quit some days. He probably got, felt discouraged. He probably felt offended. He probably felt betrayed. But he was a Caleb. He said, I will believe what God says wholeheartedly, and I'm going to go to his work and get him to get saved. I'm going to do whatever it takes to take land because I believe this boy is supposed to know Jesus, and I'm not going to quit until he does. I'm not going to take no for an answer, and I'm not going to say he's just a hopeless teenager. He is worthy of my investment in his life, and I'm going to take land. And so Edward Kimball, a volunteer Sunday school teacher, is still affecting lives today. So can you imagine what your life would look like if we pioneered? Some of you have pioneered so many awesome things. But I want to encourage you, at Caleb at 85 was still taking land. And what land is God asking you to take that you may have to think, what do I have to leave behind so I can take that? 
How do I go forward and make sure my vision and my values are lined up with the word of God so that I can take that land? How can I recognize the enemy's plan in my life so that my heart can stay soft and my skin can stay thick? But today, I want to together, we're going to proclaim the word of God. I believe proclamation is so powerful. And so I've actually put on the screen the scripture that we are going to proclaim over our lives, and I personalized it. So we're going to read it together, and we're going to say it out loud, and then we're going to go into our ministry time. I'm going to try to get out of your way. Do you all see it up here? Okay. Um, okay. Can you see it through me? Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're going to declare this together. Therefore, since I am surrounded by such a great of cloud of witnesses, let me throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let me run with perseverance the race marked out for me, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for me. And this is what I believe is the promise of God for us today. So if you are facing any thoughts that the enemy is trying to say you can't do it, or she's not talking to you, she's talking to everybody else, or there's really no hope for your situation, I want to encourage you that this scripture was written for you in mind. That's the good thing about God, is he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. And when this scripture was written, God spoke through the writer of Hebrews, and he saw your face. Because he said, I'm going to empower Jana. I'm going to empower Crystal. I'm going to empower Melanie to be the pioneer that I've called them to be. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the House website. We hope you have a great week.